My name's Aaron Franks. I'm a senior advisor at the First Nations Information Governance Center. I'm speaking to you from unceded Algonquin territory, uh, known as Ottawa, Canada. It's uh, It's been fantastic participating in this conversation. Um, I want to offer a perspective here. I've, I've taken my task uh, come somewhat literally and looking at uh, new data sources and the idea, maybe querying the idea of community data. Um, and I really want to take a look at this idea of industrial revolutions and the digitization of data, uh, the proliferation of data and data infrastructures as a fourth industrial revolution and what that means for uh, the notion of community data and um, uh, marginalized uh, uh, communities. So I, I want to parse down the statement we were all given, I think, uh, leading up to this event. Um, we're going to look at the fourth industrial revolution that query the idea of structurally underrepresented communities. I think there's questions to be asked there. Um, and then uh, big picture thinking on the idea of a social contract between a state, I guess, a nation and uh, and uh, and civil society. I want to do that by first very quickly introducing the First Nations Information Governance Center and the idea of what First Nations data is, address this question of representation, and then, as I said, talk about industrial revolutions from the perspective of enclosure and the uh, perspective of the social contract through the lens of settler colonialism, and uh, close with a question, uh, Millie, I guess you'll ask me this question, but it's really a question I'd like us to all be thinking of as a group. Um, does the idea of opening data challenge or reinforce the enclosure of community data, uh, which includes First Nations data? So where, where am I from? What do I do? Uh, First Nations Information Governance Centre is a not-for-profit service organization in Canada. We have a mandate from uh, a broad, um, a broad swath of First Nations leadership. Uh, to steward what we call the OCAP principles. These are the First Nations principles of ownership, control, access and possession of First Nations data by First Nations themselves. We also conduct a wide variety of uh, statistical research, uh, still among the only um, uh, uh, statistical uh, research programs, ongoing survey programs that are managed and run by um, by Indigenous peoples themselves, and these have been ongoing since the mid-90s. We're guided by a set of principles and research ethics and a cultural framework that's been developed by First Nations over many years. It's important to note that FNIGC is a service organization, so we respect local First Nations autonomy. Essentially, First Nations choose to come together um, at the regional level in order to do that sort of data work that benefits from that kind of aggregation and sharing of resources and then they choose to come together at a national level when things require that sort of scale when things require that sort of nation-to-nation -nation relationship that uh, um, the canadian government um, uses that phrase nation-to-nation -nation. this has been prime minister justin trudeau's phrase now since 2015 um, and FNIGC provides advice and support to First Nations in the space of information governance. And our vision is that every First Nation will achieve data sovereignty in alignment with its distinct worldview. So what do we do? Well, we do, as I said, national surveys on a wide variety of topics centered on well-being and socioeconomic circumstances. We do research on um, data sovereignty from the perspective of law, culture, uh, information governance and technology. We also do research that aligns with our survey results on elements of well-being, education, housing, economics, and we also do education and training. And I'm going to circle back 
to this uh, to the OCAP principles into something called the First Nations Data Governance Strategy, as an example of uh, data sovereignty in principle and data sovereignty in practice. What is First Nations data? First Nations data, if you are in Canada, uh, the northern half of Turtle Island, you'd probably better off asking what is not First Nations data. We consider First Nations data to be any data on la our lands and resources, which includes waters, medicines, animals, flyers, uh, four-leggeds. It includes any data about First Nations, which these days in terms of format tends to be uh, statistical data, uh, although increasingly qualitative data as well. As someone mentioned earlier, the importance of that on demographics, housing, health, labor, education, what many people would associate with administrative data, and of course, data from First Nations. This is our languages, our cultural expressions and knowledge, stories, songs, uh, regalia, and ceremony. So back to our initial um, framing question on uh, underrepresented communities. First Nations uh, people in Canada are actually, I would say, extremely overrepresented in certain uh aspects of, of, um, of data. We're among the most studied and surveilled and administered people in the Western and developed world. We have a, um, a government agency called Indigenous Services Canada, which has over 200 databases on First Nations people alone. In Canada, there is a, um, the government issues status cards uh, to um, First Nations people. This is contested, of course. First Nations people, Indigenous people, should be defining for themselves what constitutes their identity and their citizenship. However, for many years, we've lived under the system where there's an Indian registry. Of course, this is a, an enormous uh, database. So I think we need to really distinguish between overrepresentation in the data, and this is often from a perspective of lack. Um, researcher Maggie Walters in Australia calls this the five Ds of Indigenous data, deprivation, dysfunction, difference. I can't remember the other two, but you can get the picture there. Where we are underrepresented is in data governance and in mechanisms of control and determining who has access to our data. The fourth industrial revolution. Well, uh, I guess the fourth industrial revolution is considered to be the mass digitization of information and the development of digital infrastructures. We know that all industrial revolutions have featured an enclosure of the commons. Um, this began with the enclosure of land and certain livelihoods. And I think we can say over time, this is ex certainly extended to intangible commons, and this has occurred through intellectual property laws and other regimes. So I want us to be, have that in, our, in the foreground of our thoughts here. Um, data, uh, the data sphere uh, as a potential form of enclosure of, of our um, uh, um, information uh, assets or collective information assets. The social contract, well, I think, I think this is a term that I use in, in, our, in my thinking at FNIGC is that the gradations of privacy, the, 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 the trade-offs of um, sharing our data with the government or with uh, arms of the government, in return, we expect a level of services and protection and a sort of functioning of, of services that, that are of a benefit to us. I think it's really important to break that out into two parts. Um, in the context of Canada and First Nations, we can't renegotiate a social contract that was actually imposed by force. So we are really looking at reimagining a social contract between nations, between Indigenous nations and the Canadian government. And I think it's really important to recognize that as sovereign bodies, as societies, First Nations have social contracts with their own people. And no one has a right to sort of reach in and rewrite that. And this is about First Nations uh, resurgence and thrivance in, in North America. And from a data perspective, this is about going, 
First Nations have the right to control what is said about them and how their own data is used. So a series of questions here. There's a lot of text, but essentially, I really want to query now this idea of community data as a new data source. And I don't think this is an the abstract argument of, you know, pulling back to 30,000 feet and saying, you know, um, uh, I want, I want to challenge the very basis of this conversation. Maybe there's an element of that. But the, the idea here is that it's only community data if you see it as community data. So as First Nations people, our data is our community's data. So who is considering this a new data source? I mean, community data is certainly not new for the community, for any given community. So for whom is this data source new? And I, you know, I, I imagine we're talking about administrative data, research academic data, perhaps data increasingly associated with social media, uh, cellular phones, those sorts of sources. But what is community data? How are we packaging that and thinking of that? And if we can't answer the question for whom community data is new, then we're really not talking about a community. It's just a made up category, community data. And who does that serve? So we pose these questions kind of rhetorically here. I'm, I'm going to offer some thoughts. First Nations communities and what constitutes their data are defined by themselves and not by imposed imperatives of data valuation or the paradigm of open data. First Nations data is community data by some measures, but it is the data of sovereign nations too. So I think immediately we, we, we problematize this idea of community data. It's also about jurisdiction and sovereignty and collective rights. And First Nations understand the benefits of data interoperability, data sharing, but First Nations data is not a data source for a disembodied data sector, no matter how um, good the intentions may be of aspects of that sector. A really quick note here on the idea of enclosure by innovation. First Nations people, Indigenous people are very accustomed to being fixed in time on a certain evolutionary ladder. And that modernity and um, uh, technology is presented as, as a sort of gift. And I think too, this is a little more broad, but in the tech sector in, anyway, in, in, a, in a, the sort of sociological approach to so many things generally, we are now accustomed to labeling and grouping sort of eras and epochs in time. And these are becoming faster and faster and faster. If you look at, you know, the way we look at generations now, that's now Gen X, Gen Y, Z, millennials, etc. So these are ways of grouping people together and in fact kind of circumscribing them, circumscribing identities. So what's the point here? Well, it, it's also part of this hurry up or you'll miss out uh, idea that's attached to so many elements of the tech sector. Uh, disruption is, is coming, so don't miss out. The epics, the, the periods of time, the, the, the periods of uh, innovation are getting tighter and, and tighter. And, you know, imagine that against this backdrop of Indigenous people always being placed on an evolutionary ladder. Very problematic. So the idea of data sovereignty, I want to return to that as I close. Data sovereignty, in, I think, in this conversation is about resisting enclosure of the data commons, of, of, of a collective resource of, of data. And a quote here from Aguamanam, uh, 2019, while colonial states essentially uh, assert their data sovereignty as a given, indigenous peoples and their political entities are only recently staking their claims in this space, which is part of a broader decolonization project. So our work in, uh, in, in North America and Canada here, First Nations for 25 years have been working through the lens of OCAP, 
ownership, control, access, and possession of First Nations data. It really operates in sort of three different ways. One is a sort of minimum standard, a sort of technical standard, but there's also a normative aspect of this. This is part of, of, of Indigenous resurgence in, in Canada. It's maximizing community benefit, so seeing data as a collective asset, as that social contract while minimizing harm. And again, it's part of that broader uh, project of self-determination, which includes uh, the revitalization of culture. We, there's a framework and infrastructure involved in this as well. I'd encourage everyone to go to our website, fnigc.ca. We're looking at the development of a First Nations data governance strategy. There are over 600 recognized First Nations in Canada. Um, historically, there are 60-some language groupings and geographical groupings, but now with colonialism, we have over 600 individually recognized nations. This, the strategy is about creating a human and technical infrastructure, not to reduce nations' autonomy, but to, to operationalize some of the stuff we're talking about here, to provide a forum for meeting um, unique information needs, and again, to collaborate and aggregate uh, where possible. So I want to end on the note of this question, the idea of opening data. Does it challenge or reinforce the enclosure of community data and the appropriation of First Nations data?